Welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. This episode is one of a four-part series that sits alongside the Emerging Minds e-learning course, a GP framework for child mental health assessment, five to 12 years. The course looks at engagement skills, formulation, phases of a child mental health assessment, and the ongoing management of a child with mental health difficulties. Today's episode features Aaron Chambers, a Brisbane-based GP who has a passion for family practice, including paediatrics, and is also a GP liaison officer for Children's Health Queensland. He joins the podcast series today to talk about engagement and the key skills involved in conducting a child mental health assessment. Hi, Aaron, and welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank you. We're here today to talk about the unique relationship within the health system that GPs have with families and what engagement with children and their parents look like within this ongoing relationship. And a phrase that gets used is to walk with the family over time. And Aaron, I'm wondering if you could tell me what does this mean for a GP to walk with the family over time? So um, I guess in our community, I think it's a fancy term, but it seems really simple, actually, when you've been a GP in a community for a long time. And I guess to me, it's that continuity where you'll see a woman through pregnancy, you'll see what's going on with her and her partner, um, you'll see the child get born and look after them from those early days, and then watch and learn with that family as they grow over time. And I guess you also evolve as a person yourself and build up a lot of your own life experience and wisdom that you can glean from looking after lots of family going through their journeys. Mm. So I guess that's what I would take from that phrase is that it's all about that lifelong continuity that is part of being a GP embedded in a local community. Mm -hmm. At Grow Life Medical, we've really taken that to the extent to say this is the core purpose for general practice is really creating that relationship early on in life is so, so important, not only for the family, but also for the clinician. You know, it's a really enjoyable journey as a clinician where you develop that relationship and continuity. Mm -hmm. So patient family community is the way we think about it. So think about the individual in front of you, looking at what's going on in their physical health, their mental health and supporting that. But it's much more important to think, particularly in children where, where they're intimately related to a family context, to think about what's going on for that family. Has dad lost their job? Is mum having postnatal depression? and think about what the interaction with the siblings are. And I think that's where you suddenly start to get a better understanding for what's going on for that child. You'll see patterns of behaviour repeated in siblings or from the parents. Um, and even the next generation up, grandparents, if you're lucky enough to have a, a tri-generational family to look after, then often you can see threads of common themes running through families. And then even more importantly, I'm sure you're aware of all the evidence around social health and its impact upon not only um, mental health and physical health now, but also on longevity and mortality. And we've taken the view that general practices has gone a bit missing in this area. I think back to when I was a kid and I had a GP who was really actively involved in the local community. There are only two GPs in our suburb and everyone knew who went to which GP. And those GPs actively were involved in the school board or at um, fates and that sort of thing. And, and they acted as spokespeople on what was really important for the health of that local community. Mm -hmm. And I still believe that's relevant now because the world, whilst it's become much more global, that also means that that alt-hyper-local context is even more important and people are searching for connection and continuity and something deeply personal like their relationship with the general practitioner, I think, 
requires that, that local connection. So, for example, how we enact that in our community is we go to the local fates and we'll have a stand and we sponsor the local school fates. We go and run hand-washing clinics in a local kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Some of our doctors will go and speak at a, a Rotary Club dinner about heart disease. And it's those small interactions with our local community, including being present on social media, I think that's increasingly important, mm-hmm. um, and talking about, okay, here's a population health issue. COVID right now is so important from that point of view. Um, having those conversations and being present at a community level, I think is where suddenly it creates a deeper relationship and a better understanding both of the community of what the practice is about and also from the clinicians about, okay, this child goes to that school and that probably means certain things about what's going on for them and they really understand the subtle differences. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a, an ultra-local version of culture, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Are there other GPs or general practices that you know are, kind of have a similar ethos? Not many. I think... Okay. Um, Say, for example, we also run parents groups to help look at that, uh, that social determinant of maternal mental health. I think state governments do run them, but I also think the state-based health system doesn't understand communities at the ultra-local level like general practice does. I'm sure there are practices out there who are really uh, foresighted and visionary and, and don't put the almighty dollar first. And I think that's going to be really important over the coming years. You know, we're facing, uh, I hate to say it, but unprecedented economic downturn um, in the wake of COVID. And I think we're going to see much more mental health fallout, as we're already seeing with teenagers and school-aged children, I think, presenting in numbers that I've never seen before with distress, be it school performance or, or behavioural issues. You know, that's, that's what we're seeing. Is that right? And you have sort of noticed that over the last few months? Oh, definitely, especially the last month or two, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So why is engagement so important when supporting children with their mental health? So I think children are really good readers of character and they always, just like the circle of security model where you you look at that hand model that they have where the child kind of goes out and explores on a limb and then has a problem and then comes back to, to safety, they're acutely aware of danger when it faces them um, and they'll retreat to safety in in their parent typically and that can make I think sometimes it very difficult you know you can think of the child who comes into your office and who'll be cowering next to their parent and really not want to engage and it's hard to to draw out an understanding of what that child is feeling mm-hmm. without them having a sense of safety mm-hmm. and so my view is that that doesn't start when they come into your office presenting with a behavioral concern or a mental health concern It actually starts when they've come with a cold and you've examined them and you've built trust or they've come, they've scraped their knee and you managed to do it gently and they build a sense of confidence that this doctor's here to look after me, even Mm -hmm. through their vaccinations, you know, making it fun, blowing bubbles, having toys that they can play with and making an experience when they come to the practice. That means that when they do present later on, you can trust that you've built enough of a relationship with that family and with that child they'll feel pretty comfortable to come into your office and talk about what's going on. And I think they're some of the most rewarding consultations. So I guess that's um, that engaging piece. For a GP, it's not about trying to force that within one or two consultations. Mm-hmm. It actually extends back in time um, and it's about the way you treat that family with every single interaction. And then to take it to a more specific example like you gave that example of a child that's very timid and staying very close to their parent in that kind of moment 
what would you think about in terms of how would you go and engage a child that let's yeah. say it's a new new relationship i'll usually then turn to the parent so if the child really doesn't want to talk to me i'll usually talk to the parent and just make it a pleasant conversation and even specifically indicate to the parent and say you know that's all right they're obviously feeling nervous how about we have a chat and we can figure out what's going on and i'm sure they'll come and join the conversation when they're ready and kids are smart they pick up on those things and then they know that they're led listening and they say oh what's this guy doing you know, is he being nice to my mum? And it tends to work. You know, I think kids do really open up when you show that you're genuinely interested in what they're thinking and, and what their world is. And there are lots of little tricks and techniques you can use to do that. I'll fold a paper crane and kind of get their interest and just um, let that child kind of see what I'm doing and, and get interested in it. And then suddenly you've got a little gift for them. And there are even subtle things like often a parent will reach out to try and grab the gift. But I think it's really important that uh, that you keep that interaction with the child and let the child receive it from you um, because I think they pick up on subtle hints like that to understand that actually it's okay for them to broker a direct relationship with the doctor rather than broker it through their parents because that's where you can really get breakthroughs and, and they'll start to open up and talk about whatever it is that's bothering them. Mm-hmm. And when it works well, I've seen, uh, seen kids say stuff in the clinic quite openly with their parent there that they've actually never opened up and, and mentioned to a parent like they're being bullied or that there's something that's really scaring them when they go to school. This interview is part of a series to sit alongside the GP mental health skills training course and a core principle of that course is this idea of being child-centred and family-focused. So I wondered if you could just talk to me about um, what it means to you to take a child-centred and family-focused approach when supporting children's mental health needs. Mm. So I think I referred to that a little bit in in talking about how we think about the patient, the family and the community context of of what's going on for our our patients. One very foundational thing is just thinking about the environment in your practice. Is it conducive to children coming in and feeling like this is a place that actually meets their needs? Do you have a place where they can go and draw or colour? Do you have toys in the corner of your office um, that are more than just a token effort? Are the books that you've got for for kids to read with their parents really engaging and enjoyable or are they kind of torn and and disused and and unkempt? I think that's a really important factor because once kids come in and they enjoy coming to the practice and there's stuff to play with, I think adults, we can learn so much from kids where you get to play with them and it's one of the best things about looking after lots of young children and and families is is getting to just play during your consultation. Mm -hmm. And then I think uh, utilising the skills of a team around you including the practice nurses if you're lucky enough to have a child psychologist in your practice like we do really just using the ideas that come out even from your receptionists We've got some of our receptionists at university students and bring a great deal in just ideas into how we can make the place fun and engaging i think one of the best ones i've seen is we've got a little area that's kind of a it's a bit of a nook that the kids sit in and they they draw and they started to do the drawings and one of the receptionists said hey how about we just get some blue tack and we'll put that up on the wall and this wall started growing. And then what we noticed over time was actually there were starting to be little conversations happen between kids, between visits. And so they'd write on there and say, you know, dear Sophia or whoever it was, hope you're feeling better soon. <laughs> and then there'd be a note come from another child saying, yeah, I'm, I'm much better. <laughs> There's beautiful things like that that make children feel like they're part of a community. That classic, it takes a village to raise a child. So that's what I think we mean by engagement. And it goes all the way from the receptionist being really competent and comfortable welcoming children and being happy that they're there 
and making sure the environment is family friendly and child centered in, in having stuff that kids enjoy, allowing them to play, and even things like just having a baby change tray, you know, making sure that all that's sorted out. Um, making sure your office is friendly and, and is comfortable for children and that they're free to play and are safe to do so, um, you know, so it's not too clinical. And then it comes down to your rapport and your ability to build a relationship with the parent and the child, remembering that you've got two patients in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you do in uh, situations where, for example, perhaps the parent is sort of dominating the space and you're wanting to put your focus onto the child as well and hear from them? How do you approach that? I think one has to remember, and, and as a parent myself, I know if there's something going on for my child that where they're having difficulty with something or they're worried, you feel that deeply as a parent and actually your own insecurities and nervousness and things will come out. And I think it's important to acknowledge that parents in coming with their child facing a mental health issue or a behavioural issue um, are probably nervous and, and upset themselves. And sometimes you can't address that in one, one visit. And you certainly can't. If you're busy and you know you've got a huge afternoon in front of you and you're already running late, I think breaking it down can be so important and mm-hmm. perhaps using that opportunity to suggest some information gathering or just laying it open and saying, look, it doesn't look like we're getting a whole lot of information from your child or it doesn't look like we're really proceeding today. How about we book a few appointments and even if they're just about coming in and having a good time and playing, but really consciously saying that's what we're doing in order so that at some point in time they'll feel comfortable to tell their story. Okay, great. Um what do you think are some challenges that GPs might find in this area of engagement and having a child focus and family focus? Hmm. I think the the time pressures of general practice. I know there's a lot of financial pressure in general practice at the moment, and that can really get in the way of providing good care because it is so difficult right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the initiatives that I think are, are very well-meaning sometimes don't recognise the lack of remuneration in general practice for really doing a good job. So I think that's a a huge challenge that we can't pretend isn't there. And I think federal government needs to address that adequately by by putting in place rebates that appropriately remunerate spending time with patients, which is often the bit that is required. Sometimes you can pull a bit of Lego out of a child's nose um, and it'll take you five minutes and that's remunerated infinitely more then spending half an hour really talking in depth about a complicated problem that's facing a family that probably has far, far more impact in their life. Mm, and I yeah. think that's really difficult. How do we fix that? Um, I think it really needs policy and Medicare setting change. Uh-huh. So that challenge is there. Um, it's mm-hmm. not insurmountable, you know, thinking about how you deliver healthcare and making sure you appropriately use Medicare to do that. So using things like the mental health care items, I think is really important. Sometimes, depending on the practice you're in, if you're not lucky enough to be a practice owner or don't have much control over your practice environment, then that sometimes may be out of your control as a consulting GP. But I think that then means if this is work that's important to you, making sure you advocate for the the, the environment in your practice is appropriate or going and finding a practice where it really does fit what is required for parents and families. And I think one that we don't often appreciate is cultural barriers where they aren't necessarily, you know, there's there's obvious cultural barriers. Families from a refugee background, I mean, we're all aware of those sort of cultural barriers. Perhaps if you're from a non-Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander background and your patient is, that may be a cultural barrier. 
But there are other more subtle cultural barriers. I think sometimes, obviously, as doctors, we're relatively well remunerated and of high socioeconomic status. I think sometimes it's very hard to appreciate the difficulty that someone who is really struggling every day goes through where you're not from that background. And I think it's really important to keep one's eyes open to that. And, and then there are even further subtleties, families who are of prior generations might have come as refugees. So like really thinking about what is the background of your patient, what biases and positive aspects and, and negative life aspects do they bring to the table that make them uniquely who they are and how do you think about that? Mm-hmm. And then the final challenge that we face, and I think this is one that we're trying to embed into the way we practice, is thinking about adverse childhood experiences, so both for the child and for the parent. Um, and for anyone who hasn't gone out and watched those two um, very informative documentaries on adverse childhood experiences, there are two excellent um, documentaries that can be found online that are really worthwhile watching. So one is called Resilience and the other is called Paper Tigers. And both are documentaries about adverse childhood experiences and the impact they have upon children, the parents and and the community around them and and how we can start to think about this and how we can address it in our community. So I think that one is very much worthwhile thinking about because some of the most difficult consultations I've had and ones that potentially haven't ended so well, I can think of where um, there was a question that I once learnt from someone who is much more experienced than me in dealing with complicated presentations from families and um, they had suggested, how about you ask the parents, what did you learn from your parents about being a parent? And on the surface, it sounds like quite an innocuous question, but this particular presentation, there was a, a, an odd interaction that I was witnessing between the mum and the child, and um, we were about four or five consultations in, and I hadn't been getting very far. And after seeking advice from this, this respected clinician, I asked that question and said, what did you learn from your parent about being a parent yourself. And the parent got very angry with me and asked me, what's the relevance of that? And actually, I never saw that individual again as a patient. Um, But I think it told me that perhaps there was some very deep trauma there in the background for that individual. The fact that they reacted in such a strong manner to Mm. such a relatively benign question, I think, told me a lot. And hopefully that might, for that individual, mean that they, over time, are then able to address whatever it is that they're holding with them mm. with the next clinician that they see in the chain. You know, I'm sure they've caught up with another GP and a, perhaps a paediatrician or a psychologist in order to, yeah. to deal with whatever's going on there for them. But I think having an awareness around adverse childhood experiences, both for how it colours the parent's interaction with their child and how it affects that child's upbringing, is probably a big challenge that we need mm. to start addressing as GPs. Great. Thank you. So, The final question I had, and you've been talking around this anyway and giving some suggestions, but what advice and guidance can you provide to GPs that might help to overcome some of the challenges that you talked about, about supporting family and children over time and and this process of engagement? One I haven't mentioned already is thinking about how can you address the social determinants of health in your community? So, I guess the way in our practice that we've we've started to address that is creating parents groups that are free, um, they're non-medical, they're purely there to create social connectedness and enable a peer support network for, for parents who live in that area. So that's one concrete example of something you can do. 
I think peer support is really important and often provides different avenues for parents to address whatever's going on for them than we do as clinicians. Mm -hmm. So thinking about how can you do that in your local community, I think is a good start. Think about how your practice caters for children, as I mentioned earlier. Think about the environment and um, how it makes it feel welcome and comfortable for that child to, to enter your clinic so that you can have that, that relationship and that discussion. I would say consciously stepping outside of your clinic, talk to the school in your local area, get to know the local guidance counsellor, work consciously on creating your community of practice so you really intimately know the psychologists in your area, the services that are available, um, and that you have a relationship with the other clinicians and other transsectoral providers so that they know that they can discuss with you a, a difficult circumstance. And that way you're creating a really good environment within your geographic radius that everyone is working in the same direction, not just for that one child but for all children. And finally, probably just uh, to enjoy yourself in that consultation, make sure you're open, playful, and usually the answers will come to you when combined with all the sort of stuff that people like Emerging Minds are creating those skills of really assessing exactly what's going on. But um, from a how does walking through time with a family as a GP goes, I would say that's the take I've got on it. Okay, great. That's been a really useful and interesting conversation. So thank you very much for your time, Aaron. Thanks for asking me, Sophie. Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au to access a range of resources to assist your practice. Brought to you by the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health, led by Emerging Minds. The National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Programme.